You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. One midsummer mid-morning, my great-great-aunt, Annie Gilliatt, sister of my great-grandmother, Ome Belanger, neither of whom spoke a lick of English, had inadvertently sitting on her New Orleans porch, she created the best heirloom that anyone could ever want or desire. Now, Ome and Aunt Annie, they loved good food, they loved crocheting, and they loved Dixie beer. So inadvertently, as they're sitting on that porch, the greatest raw heirloom of all time was created. Now, you could be jealous. That's okay. You could be jealous. Works great with undergrad. Just saying, guys. This is a fun... Um, this reveals two things, really. First, it reveals that with free time and beer, almost anything is possible. But secondly... And, and probably more importantly, it reveals that you can't choose what you inherit. <laughs> now, Christie's family, now she receives like fine marble tabletops and china and things like that that you can show in polite company. But I, I have a Colt 43 and a Dixie beer hat. You just can't choose what you inherit, right? Uh, but we can choose, we can choose what we want to cultivate from that inheritance, right? And I've mentioned this before, you know, the, the shock and amazement of what we, I've recently done uh, 23andMe uh, to, to find, you know, what branch of the tree the nut has fallen from. Uh, and, and come to my surprise, like, my middle name is Norwegian. Uh, my middle name is Burke. B-E-R-K-E. Originally it was Bjerk, B-J-E-R-K-E, and they took the J out for obvious reasons. Thank you, Mom. So I didn't go through life being called Bjerk, right? You should get, look, 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 you should give kids a fighting chance. That's all I ask. Just give them a chance. Thank God I didn't go through life as Matthew Bjerk Rawl, right? But to my shock and amazement, I am very, I have very little Norwegian background. In fact, I am just as Norwegian as I am Filipino, which is a surprise <laughs> to just about everyone. You can't choose what you inherit. Therefore, therefore, we must not pass blame on what the other has inherited. Therefore, we must not pass blame on the narrative that our neighbors have inherited, either through creed or class or color of their skin. We ought not blame what others have inherited. We also ought not to be overly proud of what we have inherited because we don't choose. We shouldn't venerate, necessarily, our history either or uh, as Jesus said as he entered into Jerusalem, do not claim Abraham as your father, for God can make children of Abraham out of these stones. Cajun by birth, 
LSU grad by the grace of God, right? We ought not to overly venerate the story that has chosen us as well. We all enter into life with a story not of our own choosing. And this is really the heart of original sin, if you want to dive into. Original sin is not that the moment that you're born, you're totally depraved and you need of fixing, right? Or at least that's a terrible way to visit a couple in the hospital. They've just had their first child and you say, oh, look, what a wonderful depraved child in need of fixing, right? Original sin, to the heart of it, is we have entered into a world not of our own creating. Everyone in here entered into the world of the, the, the context and the systems that their parents have built, for good or ill. There is a sin to our origin, and it is the systems that we have inherited. Sometimes that system is amazing. Sometimes that story is amazing. Sometimes that story contains seemingly insurmountable Hurdles. We must recognize, like vine and branches, that we are all indeed connected to one another. The question is, not what have I inherited, but what fruit do I choose to cultivate from that inheritance? Sometimes it takes a while to figure out exactly what we are called to produce. What kind of fruit are you called to produce? In, in great part, that is what college is about, is discerning and figuring out what am I going to do for my life. What fruit are we being called to bring to the harvest? As an example, uh, Christy and I, we have four kids, uh, and each one of them is drastically different in the way that they look at the world. Same household, same parents, same church, very, very different. So why must I assume that everyone in the pews must all be the same? You have, you have Isabel, the, the artist and empath. Uh, you have Anna Lee, uh, the dancer and academic. You have Cecilia, who is the gymnast and the president of the New World Order <laughs> that will soon, soon come to fruition. And then there's Robert. <clears throat> and then there's Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're picking up what I'm putting down, right? So um, we don't know. We don't know what Robert's gift is going to be. Like, we, like, is it going to be soccer? Is it going to be dance? Is it going to be theater? Like, we don't know. But we do know that he's obsessed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? So I thought, ooh, you know what? He probably should do karate. No one in our family has ever done karate, as far as I know. As far as the nut has fallen from the tree, we don't know. But Pax Karate's right around the corner. Let's do karate. And, oh, man, he, when he had his uniform, grinning ear to ear, puts on his uniform and loves doing these, practicing his kicks and this kind of thing. Now, every day, every day that there's practice, uh, the teacher gives out a you rock card to one of the students. Like, you rock because your form was great. Or you rock because you were really kind, right? You rock because you were standing and you were saying, yes, sir! You know, all these things. And every time we're there, Robert is standing at attention. And the teacher describes this student today, because of how well he listened, because of how great his form is, our you rock card is going to Johnny. And then Robert, every time you could see the bottom lip starting, you know, and he's just standing there trying to hold it together in the middle of his comrades, in the middle of the match. And then he, he walks off of the, he gets out and he bows and, and, gets, and he just collapses into my arms and cries. And it just, 
If you're not moved by that, you're not a human being, right? This sweet six-year-old child is like, I didn't get the you rock card today. Two weeks ago, friends, he got the you rock card. And you should have seen. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because that was the first day that they sparred for the first time. And my son got the snot knocked out of him. (laughs) It was the kind of hit, and I have it on camera. I'm not going to show, I mean, just there should be some level of discrepancy. But it was the kind of hit where all of the parents who were watching all went, ooh, like that's the kind of hit that happened. I mean, knocked him on his rear end, but he got up and he just, you know, and he got the U-Rock card. And since then, since then, other students have gotten it and he applauds them. He cheers them on, right? Hurdle eclipsed. The point is, friends, the fruit that we are called to cultivate is not about our ability. It is about our capacity to receive and share joy. The fruit we are called to produce in the world is not about our ability. It's not about what we're good at or what we're not good at or how successful we are. It is about our capacity to receive and share joy. Robert is terrible at karate. But he loves every minute of it. And everyone around him knows that he does. Same thing, a a couple of weeks ago, we had a a hymn sing uh, that was here. It was beautiful, it was fantastic. Now, I will say... I was a bit John Wesley prior to Aldersgate experience. Uh, it was late in Wednesday. I was kind of tired. And as those of you who know your Wesleyan history, John Wesley went to a Bible study begrudgingly, like he didn't want to go. And the hymns, I love, I'm in music. I was a music reader. I love hymns, loved it, but it was late and I was tired. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll sing some hymns. And then I looked in the basket. You knuckleheads put like 45 hymns in this basket that we're supposed to sing in like 20 minutes. So I'm like, gosh, I'm like, oh, great. This is going to take an hour and a half. Blah, blah, blah. So we're singing um, uh, these hymns, and it's, it's taken, taken quite a lot. David Burroughs did a fantastic job hosting. Um, uh, he, when everyone was there and we sang the first hymn, he goes, oh, good. Uh, you've all now auditioned for the choir. You're all in, right? You know? Some, someone has asked me, well, where, where's our choir, Pastor Matt? It's here in the pews. Here's the choir, right? All you have to do is show up on Tuesdays and... And, and help us out, especially Christmas in North Bossier rehearsal. Every Saturday, 10 to noon-ish, something like that. Is that right? Join us for Christmas in North Bossier. So I went begrudgingly to our hymn sing. But about halfway through, I'm going to put you on the spot, my friend. I saw Jolene, eyes closed, hymnal closed, head looking up to the heavens, hugging her hymnal. It was closed because she didn't need it. She knew all of the words to be thou my vision. And she was singing to God. She will self-admittedly say, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Friends, the fruit you produce is not about your ability. It is about your capacity to receive and share joy. And as a pastor, I have one of those vantage points where I can see someone having a moment. And that was a beautiful, holy moment to see Jolene sing into God. The fruit we produce is not about our ability. 
It is about our capacity to share and receive joy. Last week I talked about how Jesus is the good shepherd and he calls the sheep together. Not, he calls all the sheep together, not just those who are better, stronger, faster, wiser. It's not about your ability. It's about sharing and receiving joy. Joy is, and I'm going to put this on my tombstone so memorize it. Joy is, and those in my disciple class know this, joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. Sometimes it's a happy feeling. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is the bloom in the midst of the rubble. Joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. What reminds you that you are a child of God? What reveals that you are connected to the divine? What reveals to others that they are loved and that they are valued and important? And that expression of joy can look very different. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and the nutrients that we share is the joy we receive and give The branches receive their nutrients from the vine and then the branches share those nutrients wherever they need to go. Do all branches produce good fruit? No, they don't. But scripture says that God does the pruning. God prunes the vine. It does not say that the branches prune each other because one branch thinks it's right and thinks the other branch is wrong. That is not what the text says. God is the one who offers us healing. And there are some, and I'll say this, there are some United Methodist congregations who are voting, have voted, who soon will be voting, about which branches should be included in the vine. Or maybe they think that God needs a little help in God's pruning. Hmm. I'm well aware that everyone has a line in the sand and their understanding of theology and their understanding of the gospel and we can certainly argue the theology of all things but my point is that today we welcome Camrata Choir from Centenary College. Now, uh, all United Methodist churches have what's called apportionments where they give a portion of their revenue to areas of the church that are not congregations that need funding, like Centenary Choir, like Dillard University in New Orleans. So when we, as a branch, choose that other branches are unworthy and we separate ourselves from that connection, we also are divesting from higher education. And I think that's a shame. Now, congregations that are disaffiliating, they can give to Centenary, But over and over and over again, I'm hearing that folks are disaffiliation to to, uh, protect their property and their assets. And when that is on your mind, to protect your property and assets, it does not create create fertile ground for stewardship. If you're in protection mode, it's hard to then give to those who need it. Now, and I'm looking right in the camera, I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope the congregations that are disaffiliating will match their contribution to Centenary College or even exceed it. Prove me wrong. Fruit we offer isn't about being right or being good or your ability. It is about receiving and sharing joy. Hmm. Now, 
That doesn't mean that to each his own and we have nothing to say. We are called to be prophetic as a community of faith. In the spirit of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, You who make iniquitous decrees to write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil and that you may make the orphans your prey. God is very clear how we are called to treat those without power or property or pension. For example, our wheelchair ramp ministry, if you want to learn more, Mitchell is here, our wheelchair ramp ministry doesn't ask if they are worthy or who they voted for or which creed they profess. The question is, do you need better access to your own home? And if the answer is yes, we will gladly serve you. And I hope you want to be a part of that team. We are always in need. And look, I've been to one. I've only been to one. I need to be more. Look, Mitchell comes in the office every now and again, and I say, hey, Mitchell, how can I help you? He goes, show up to a wheelchair ramp build. I said, I'd show up to one every seven years, so I'm due. I'm due for another one, right? You can help too, and you can show up, and you can, look, and if I can help build a wheelchair ramp, friends, (laughs) everyone in this room can then build a wheelchair ramp. We are called to be prophetic. We are called to speak truth to power, and we're called to be priestly, which means living a life patterned after Christ that offers an infectious joy in the world to sing, to build, to play, to dance, to love. That's why we pass the peace every Sunday before communion. Through the vine, we are connected to the table and to each other. We are the branches sharing those nutrients with one another. Before we come to the table, we are to reconcile with one another. And the passing of the peace is a dance between the prophetic and the priestly. It's not, you know, if, if, we're too, if we're too prophetic, if we're too branches should be pruning other branches instead of God doing the pruning. If we are too prophetic, then somehow the, the passing of the peace is secretive and it's only for insiders and we have special handshakes and you have to be good enough to earn hospitality. Now, conversely, if it's too priestly, then we shake our hands right outside of the sanctuary and go to walk-ons instead of the altar. (laughs) Nothing wrong with walk-ons, but let us be about the kingdom. In other words, if we're too prophetic, our doctrine is chef's kiss, but life is a drag. (laughs) If we're too priestly, then we will make room in our life for everything but church. And this is where the pruning happens. Pruning isn't God hacking you off the vine and throwing you out. But it does mean that in these moments when we break bread and shake hands and offer peace, that hate, anger, selfishness, they begin to lose their grip on us. The more we gather, the more we share, the more we make room at the table for others, the more we are pruned. And the word pruned is related to the word healed. Pruning is a healing so that our capacity to receive and share share joy grows. That is the fruit. And the grapes that you offer, uh, uh, the fruit that you offer, you know, there might be 
delicious on their own. They might be a fantastic wine from Napa. They might be table grapes that kids find in their lunches. Or your grapes might be dried and shriveled and become raisins. That's okay too. Because you can't have trail mix without a good set of raisins. God can use each and every one of us. Not about our ability, but about our joy. And this joy is necessary for what Jesus says next. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Out of all the I am statements, this statement seems to carry a theological significance greater than the others. At least there's little controversy when we say that Jesus is the light of the world. There's little controversy when we say that Jesus is the bread of life. But then we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now we start to have camps and we circle together and my interpretation of that is right. Your interpretation of that is wrong. When we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd, even even the shepherd calls in sheep from other folds, and that doesn't cause as much debate as this phrase does. Some will proclaim on the basis of these words that it's exclusionary. Jesus is the way to God, and, and it, is, it is definitive. Jesus says, I am the way. He does not say, I am a way. He doesn't say, I am some bread, or I am a kind of light. He goes, I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. I am the way. And yet, and yet, God continues to surprise us. As the master says in the parable of the vineyard, can I not do what I want with that which is mine, or are you envious because I am gracious? When we all get to heaven, my how surprised we will be. Hmm. It is exclusive, but not in terms of denomination or tradition or orthodoxy. As I've said time and time again, do I really believe that only upper middle class white Methodists are in heaven? If that's true, what a fantastic waste of space. It is exclusive, but it is exclusive in what it asks of us. It is a hard road. It is a road of self-sacrifice. When Jesus says, I am the way, they recognize that Jesus is talking about a roadway. And at the time of Jesus, all roads lead to Rome, and those roads are littered with crosses. Jesus tells the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he's not consoling them because he's going away. He's telling them, this is a hard road. And you're going to suffer, you're going to carry the cross, but do not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I am preparing a place for you. I know it's going to be difficult. This is the way. As the Mandalorian has prophetically told us, this is the way. It is the grain of wheat falling to the ground, as Jesus says. And there's two ways to respond to this. We have Philip and we have Thomas at the end of the Gospel of John. So Philip hears Jesus say this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me, except through this way, except through this way of self-denial and selflessness and living for the other. And Philip says, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on. Philip says, just show us the Father 
and we will be satisfied. Just, just show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Friends, that's akin to someone saying, just save souls, preacher. Don't give us a hard lesson. Just save souls, preacher. Right? But as a community of faith, we do talk about difficult things. We talk about the sin of racism. We, we talk about human sexuality. We talk about the, the, the blessedness of life of mother and child. We talk about difficult things. If we go through life saying, well, just, just show us the Father and we'll be, we will be satisfied, we will think that Christianity is all about my personal satisfaction. Just show us the Father and I'll be satisfied. It is a difficult road. And we do talk about difficult things. I'd love to say that Christianity is about your personal comfort and satisfaction, but I can't because that's not what Jesus says. Yes, my yoke is light, my burden is light, right? It's still a burden. <laughs> hmm. Jesus says to Philip, and Philip says, hey, just, just show us the Father and, and we will be satisfied. Jesus says, have I been with you this whole time and you still don't know me? Philip. But then there's Thomas. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples, and for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. He was probably at a disaffiliation vote and, and came back and, 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 and missed Jesus. <laughs> he gets there and they say, we have seen the Lord. And what does Thomas say, right? Thomas says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, a week passes and Jesus does appear before Thomas. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And that is a powerful proclamation. The other disciples said, we saw the Lord. But here, Thomas not only says, my Lord, he also says, and my God. Recognizing the divinity of Christ. He wasn't doubting that Jesus appeared to them. He wasn't doubting in the resurrection. Thomas had to know Thomas needed affirmation. That's why he mentions the scars. Lord, I need to know if suffering is a part of this equation. Because if you haven't suffered, Lord, if it only appeared that you suffered, then I'm not moving to Jerusalem. I'm not going. He had to see the scars so that he knew that suffering was part of the way. If the scars aren't there, it means Jesus really didn't suffer. And that means that the cross is a really good theological idea, but it's not salvific. It's not really part of the story. Maybe the real miracle, maybe the real miracle is this. Thomas kept coming back. So he's there Sunday. He misses Jesus. I'm not, and he kind of sternly, I'm not going to believe unless I see the marks in his hands. So he comes back Monday. No Jesus. He comes back Tuesday. No Jesus. Wednesday. Thursday. How many times would you come back thinking that you had been forgotten? That you had asked too many questions? that Jesus was never going to show up for you because of the way that you responded. Thomas kept coming back. 
And maybe that was the way he needed to do it. To suffer through your own forgottenness? Sounds like a cross. To keep showing up when it feels like Jesus isn't there, that God is absent? It sounds like a cross. When everyone around you is full of joy and you keep coming back empty, but you keep coming back. And now suddenly when Jesus says, I am the way, and that way is littered with crosses, Thomas now understands, probably better than any of them. And Jesus showed up, (laughs) said, see, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus also said that I am the truth. I'm the way, the the truth, and the life. In John's gospel, we're almost done. In John's gospel, truth is not mental assent. Jesus did not lay out doctrine for them. The truth is something to which you belong. Jesus was with Pilate, and when he was with Pilate, Jesus said this, For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Truth is not mental assent. It is the transformational hospitality of belonging. Truth is the transformational hospitality of belonging. Knowing that you are not alone. Knowing that even though you keep showing up and showing up and it is empty and you are sorrowful and everyone around you is feeling joy, you're still not alone and Jesus will be present. The truth is what we belong to, you and me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) Which means we suffer together. And we will all be raised together. It is redeemed. You cannot choose your inheritance. But you can choose what to cultivate from that inheritance. Our job is to produce good fruit, not based on ability, but our capacity for joy. And in turn, we share that joy, the steadfast assurance that God is with us, even in the midst of the inevitable suffering the gospel invites. This way tethers us to the truth that all things, you, me, those who are trimming branches from their congregations left and right, God loves them too. I'm still working on it. The way tethers us to the truth that all things will be redeemed through Christ's resurrected life. That is our hope. And it's a hope for everyone. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, we give you thanks that Jesus shows up, that Jesus has walked the way and shown us the sacrificial love that you have 
for us all. Father, we know that we are connected to you through Christ, vine and branches. We give you thanks that our salvation does not depend on our ability, but our capacity for joy. So help us to be good stewards at receiving it and sharing it to show the world the steadfast assurance that you are with us. And as now we transition into the holy work of hearing a requiem, a mass for the dead, the words sanctus, 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 holy, 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 may these words ring throughout our being as we give thanks for the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.